Hello and welcome to Interpreting India. I'm Srinath Raghavan and this is a podcast presented by Carnegie India. Every week we bring to you voices from India and around the world as we unpack the role of technology, the economy and foreign policy in shaping India's relationship with the world. The coronavirus pandemic struck India just around the time of the spring harvest. This led to the closure of produce markets known as mandis and the suspension of all transportation facilities for moving agricultural stock. A massive disruption in agricultural supply chains followed, making it hard for farmers to sell their produce. In order to tackle the falling demand for produce and the COVID-19 pandemic, the government of India has recently announced a financial package for farmers and the agricultural sector as a whole. This includes pumping in additional capital, loan waivers, and infrastructure development among other things. But we need to understand how these measures, if successfully implemented, will help farmers and agricultural traders. To discuss the state of India's agrarian economy and the impact of coronavirus, we have with us today Professor Himanshu. Himanshu is an associate professor of economics in the School of Social Sciences at Jawaharlal Nehru University. He is also a visiting fellow at the Centre des Sciences Humaines at in New Delhi. In addition to researching and teaching, Himanshu has also worked with various government committees on economic policy issues. He is a recipient of the Sanjay Thakur Young Economist Award of the Indian Society of Labor Economics and the Personalité de Avenir of the French Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Himanshu, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you with us today. Thank you. I want to start by asking your sort of overview really on what this crisis has meant for rural India. We want to you know dive deeper into the agricultural sector, but uh, before we do that, I mean it it might be a good idea to get a sense from you on how you see this affecting the rural sector more broadly of the economy. Uh let me uh begin by saying that uh, uh, the context in which this whole epidemic uh, started is uh, the background in a sense is something that we must not forget. and that background is something that played out uh, in the country for the last 2 years just before the elections 2019 elections and that was a period of uh, severe agrarian distress in a sense uh, that led to also uh, governments being toppled over in november 2018 but generally the agrarian crisis was already there and uh, it will be uh, premature to say that we were out of it and we were everything was hunky dory with the rural economy and i think the other uh, big indicator of rural economy in that sense uh, was the fact that the rural wages were declining and they continue to decline the last data that we have up to february 2020 and that shows that the in real terms and that's adjusted for inflation real wages have declined and this is the decline has been going on for last 4 to 5 years so i think the situation was already very very worrying in the rural economy even before the pandemic started and to a certain extent it did affect the overall economy and the overall growth rate had slowed down so the demand crisis which is what we've been talked about was already there in the rural economy for much earlier and in fact the two other indicators which i just wanted to flag was one was the decline in food consumption real food consumption uh, from the consumption survey that came out also the overall consumption expenditure declining in the rural areas that also came out from the 2017-18 consumption expenditure survey which obviously was not uh, accepted by the government in a sense was junked by the government but uh, nonetheless the data in a sense pointed out to the severity of the crisis in the rural economy now that is in that backdrop backdrop if you look at it what has happened uh, with the lockdown that was imposed from 24th of march uh, the crisis has actually gone from bad to worse 
let me uh, break down into three different aspects of the economy. Since one is the labor part of it, and uh, I'll come back, come to that part of it uh, uh, the last. The second part is obviously the income uh, poverty and livelihood part of it. And the, but the first one is basically what happened to the agricultural sector. And uh, in that sense, uh, in, in that sense, the agriculture sector did not get affected too much by the lockdown in the sense the normal agricultural activity of harvesting and other things somehow were managed by the farmers in the sense also because it was not something which was uh, very, very strictly implemented in the rural economy at that point of time. Uh, the severity of the lockdown was much less compared to in the urban pockets of it. But it did impact uh, to a certain extent, and it did impact not uh, it didn't it did not impact the harvesting part of it, but obviously the post harvest sales uh, were affected, and transportation and supply chain uh, completely breaking down led to a severe collapse in the, uh, demand for agricultural commodities. Uh, the real 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 uh, decline happened in terms of prices, happened in terms of perishable commodities, but also other commodities were affected, and we'll talk about it in detail later. But I think the second part is something which, again, is important and which is related to what I mean, people losing their incomes and people livelihoods getting disrupted. And it is not just the agricultural economy. Today, the non-agricultural economy in the rural areas contributes roughly 60 to 70 percent of the total income in the rural economy. That's something which is now more or less well established. And these might be small and petty kind of jobs, uh, manual jobs and those kind of things. Uh, but those got restricted and not restricted. Uh, restriction uh, came simply because the transport networks were broken. Uh, uh, roughly 25% of the people who work in non-agricultural sector in the rural economy were working outside the village in the urban areas. So these were small towns, very urban areas and very, very small parts of it. But that got disrupted. So that will also have an impact. And that may have led to increasing distress in the rural economy during this particular period is the wave of migrants going back to the rural economy. And I've been speaking to people in the rural areas, uh, in Bihar, in UP, in Rajasthan. And the information that we're getting that we suddenly have around 100 to 150 young men returning back to the villages. Now, that's maybe a small number uh, in general, but for a village, that's not a small number. And uh, keep in mind that we are in a phase where agriculture is now in the lean season. In the sense, there is hardly any agricultural work happening before the Kharib showing starts in end of June or beginning of July. So there is absolutely no work that is available in this uh, heat in the rural areas. And that many people suddenly coming back to the rural economy, it has created some kind of distortion in the labor market. And we don't know how is it going to play out. No, that, that that's very useful. And I'd like to return to each of these uh, three points. But before that, I mean, could we just go back to your earlier observation about saying that, you know, there was a crisis in agriculture even before the pandemic uh, struck. Yeah. Yeah. And in some ways, uh, that was a crisis uh, because of depressed demand. And could you just briefly explain, uh, you know, what you think were the sort of main drivers behind that distress? Because I'm trying to just gauge whether the current crisis is accentuating existing trends or is it creating newer kinds of problems? I suspect it might be a bit of both, but I just want to get the background straight. I think I think uh, that's a very relevant question because that also answers the second part of your question. Uh, the really, I mean, remember, I mean, crisis in agriculture has been spoken about for like so, so people will ask what is so new about it. But you see, there is something which is new, and that new is that in 60s and 70s, or even up to the beginning of the 1980s, the crisis when we used to talk about, the crisis was in terms of production. I mean, we were not producing enough. We were dependent on imports. We were importing a large amount of that. That had a foreign exchange problem, and food uh, availability was a real, real problem. 
But after the 1990s, particularly in the last 20 years, what we are witnessing is a different, different form of crisis. This crisis or this kind of a vulnerability that we're looking at is a, is a crisis which is not entirely of production. This is production-wise, if you look at it in the last four or five years also, we have had a bumper production. And since even this year, it is going to be a record production for the last five years. Even though 14 and 15 were a drought year, it didn't affect the agricultural production in terms of volume too much. The problem that we have today is what we call is a political economy problem. And that's where the crisis is becoming very difficult to handle and cannot be handled in the same way as it was in the earlier period. Is That is a demand-related crisis. And it started somewhere happening uh, somewhere 2010 or 2011 uh, when food prices were rising, food price inflation was there. But what people did not notice that after 11-12 is that the prices of inputs were also rising faster. And that was very, very fast. Right. And we did reach a situation somewhere around 2014 is when uh, agriculture was on the verge of getting into a crisis. And 2014, we had uh, petroleum prices collapse. And that led to a fun round of uh, drop in uh, demand, drop in prices, international prices in uh, most of the commodities. And that got uh, transferred to transmitted to the domestic economy. So we had a demand slowdown there that affected the rural economy. Wages had already started slowing down from 2013 November onwards. And that slowdown was very, very sharp slowdown uh, compared to the previous five, six year period when wages were growing around six to seven percent in real terms. And then finally came back the demonetization and finally your, uh, generally the overall slowdown, which was uh, impacted by uh, uh, slowing down of the demand. So really, if you look at the uh, uh, what we, the government basically claims as a success in terms of having managed the inflation in a, in a range, uh, which is what the RBI would like to uh, keep it under control. It has all been achieved by keeping agricultural commodity prices under control. And in many cases, in fact, for the last two years, if you look at the numbers, both from the CPI as well as in the WPI, you'll find that in many power, most majority of the period of this last two years, food prices and agricultural prices were actually negative in a sense so there is a, a deflation in uh, agricultural commodity prices, and this was the uh, this was the one which was really the uh, question of crisis. This was crisis not was because of production collapsed or, uh, or or there was some kind of a drought or something. At least in the last three to four years, and this was aggravated by government's response, which was to cut down on agricultural investment. So we were situation where uh, agriculture sector was in crisis, not because of production but because of collapse in demand, and that collapse in demand aggravated over a period of time, leading it to the situation uh, by 2019 when actually overall economy was getting affected by the collapse in demand in the rural economy. The five rupee biscuit packet not getting sold and various other things that have been talked about. That was something which was visible even one year back. Although this was not coming or making news in the headline media, I mean, mainstream media, but the demand deflation was really the story which was there. Now, what has happened in the uh, as it, during the pandemic is that this is something which is accelerated. Since suddenly demand has collapsed. And so we am using the word very seriously. Collapse really means that it has gone down. And it has uh, collapsed because of, uh, again, I mean, two important reasons, but uh, very, very important reasons. One is the collapse in uh, petroleum prices, which happened in February. Every time there is a collapse in petroleum prices, it leads to sharp decline in international prices of most of the commodities which are traded and internationally traded commodities, but particularly those crops which have some kind of a, a substitutability with petroleum products, and which is basically maize and sugarcane and other crops, all of which, which immediately get affected. 
but overall other commercial crops also prices go down this happened and this happened in our case also sugarcane is going to be a really really big problem because prices in international market have collapsed completely and uh, it has happened with maize it has happened with uh, uh, other crops as well now uh, if you uh, look at what has happened this is pre pandemic and pre lockdown but the international prices collapsed led to a, a transmission in the indian economy and indian agricultural prices also collapsed but after that the collapse in demand has been very very sharp milk uh, milk demand has collapsed completely and a part of the lockdown uh, demand collapse has also been the demand that is coming from institutional segment which is the dhabas the restaurants the eateries the uh, hotels the various other kind of uh, which used to uh, consume a large part of your not large but at least significant part of the demand for uh, most of the food products so this collapse in demand has led to a complete collapse in prices and uh, very few commodities have survived very few crops have survived in particularly wheat and wheat has survived but many other crops maize and sugarcane and uh, perishable crops prices have collapsed and that basically is the uh, where i'll say that the crisis has become very very serious how would you assess the you know the aid package and financial assistance package that the government has unveiled for the farm sector particularly do you think it's uh, capable of uh, you know targeting at least some of these key problems that you are identifying particularly that of collapse of prices and farm prices but also collapse of demand even the, let me break it down into two parts again one is let's get into the specific of what was announced in that sense i mean so what we had an announcement was all sorts of sundry announcements which were already made in the budget earlier most of these were i mean in fact all of them were announcements which were already made either in this budget even to the 2020 budget or in 2019 july budget when the budget was presented after the new government came in or in 2019 budget uh, february just before the election so if you just look at the three budgets you'll realize that most of the announcements have already been made and so there is no new money in that sense coming in uh, right from uh, pmk santu also all other schemes that we're talking about keep that aside but really what was done was to announce major reforms in the sense in agricultural marketing apmc essential commodity act in contract farming and that led to kind of people simply celebrating oh this is the 1991 moment and suddenly agricultural reforms have been done really look at uh, the government's own announcements in the 2016 budget 2017 but in budget 2018 budget will realize that all of these have been made in successive budgets I mean, ever ever since the whole agrarian crisis has been talked about these have been talked about and i just wanted to highlight them in some of these issues and then finally come to the uh, uh, real question i mean look at this whole apmc reforms I mean as if this is the really the stumbling block and we need to uh, make sure that the farmers are uh, going to get prices once we do the reforms apmc reforms and this is an old history we have been talking about this for last Uh, 20 years. In fact, more than 20 years, we have been talking about this. And the first move on this APMC reforms was done in 2000. And then again in 2003 is when the Model Act was passed. 2007 again the Model Act was repeated and sent to the states. 2011 it was done. 2013 it was done. This government has obviously done it in 2017. So if you go to the Ministry of uh, Agriculture website, agricoop.nigov.in, and you go to Acts and Legislation, the first act that you find. is the act which uh, the legislation which was uh, passed in 2000 i mean which is proposed in 2017 which is on actually apmc reforms then again in 2018 which is our, all of these are there and currently there which is again the contract farming one which is again part of things so we have already done it in 17 and 
And there is absolutely nothing that the government can do in terms of APMC uh, uh, reforms, which it has already not done. I mean, so it's uh, just by reiterating and making it sound number of times, uh, uh, they may be thinking as if something new is happening. Now, but what, what exactly is this whole APMC uh, hangama? I mean, and I think it's nothing more than simple uh, hangama that has been created to say as if that you do the APMC reforms and, and then everything will be taken care of. All the problems of the farmers will be taken care of and there'll be all happy farmers, income doubling and everything happening. Now remember, APMCs are uh, agricultural produce marketing committees and these are act which are passed by the states. And some, some kind of information is important here. Both agriculture as well as marketing are state subjects, but the states have an authority to pass legislations. So APMC acts That's are right. passed by the states. Central government, whether in 2003, 2007, 2011, 2013, 2017, can only propose a model act, which is that they can say that, okay, all of you pass this. Take this as a model act and therefore you pass it. But each state will have to do its legislation. Central government cannot simply do that. It can do it for the electronic and other things, but at least APMCs are strictly under the domain of the state governments. And that is why we have something like some more than 25 APMC acts, which is, and all of them are completely different. I mean, Kerala doesn't have an APMC act. Bihar had an APMC act, which it repealed in 2005. Then Maharashtra has the, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, modified the act at least three times in the last two years. I mean, 2016, 17, and 18. Andhra Pradesh has done in Karnataka has been doing it for the last 10 years, various forms of reforms. And all those things that have been talked about have been done by various state governments in phases. Some state governments have done it, uh, not all the reforms. Four essential reforms are there in APMC. That there should be unified license. They should be able to sell to anybody and all sorts of things are there. And, uh, most of them have done two or three of these. So in a sense, and there are many who have done all four of it, at least seven, eight of them have done all four of it. I mean, not going to the extent of Bihar abolishing the APMC at all, but at least uh, most of them have done all sorts of reform that the state single government wanted them to through the Model Act. So these reforms have already been done. And so there is nothing which uh, the central government as such can uh, say other than proposing another Model Act to be followed by the state governments. But can it actually uh, lead to better money being received by the farmers? That's where the problem lies, because there is absolutely no relationship between these two. You can, I mean, there's no, uh, nobody is saying that there should, you should not reform the markets and you should not allow farmers better choice and have the uh, ability to uh, have a better price discovery mechanism. But again, you have to look at the uh, I mean, mechanism of it or institutional, what we call as the agricultural marketing, the three uh, eyes of agricultural marketing, infrastructure, institutions, and the third one is information. I mean, these are the three critical elements which the, farmers require. And infrastructure is the market. You have to create the private market yards. Bihar did it. Uh, what Bihar did in 2006 was to abolish the APMC. But once you abolish the APMC, you have to provide them another market. When you, farmers need that market to do the transactions. You can't simply one day abolish it and then say that, okay, now you're on, on to your end. Go and find your buyer. We are talking about millions of farmers. And the million of farmers, majority, 80% of them are small and marginal farmers, you can't expect them to go on the road and start knocking on doors of the RWAs or the societies and say that, look, buy my produce. I mean, that's not something which any state government is going to do is. You need to have some mechanism where produce is lifted from there 
it is sorted, graded, and then finally it reaches the final consumer. That's how it works. That's, I mean, even automobile safety works on dealers. It's not that the Maruti simply calls you up and says that, look, hey, can you do it? That's not how it works. That's right. I think, I think somewhere, so the market, market infrastructure is something which is where the state government will have to provide. And the state governments have been providing through the APMC, these market infrastructures. And they require investment. I mean, as a result of this whole narrative that APMC is the villain, what has happened in the last 20 years is that state governments have stopped investing in creating these market infrastructures. Market infrastructures are not just infrastructure. Like Bihar, for example, is a good example of it. When Bihar government had the APMC, more than 300 crores was being used, the money that was collected through the, uh, as a, the commission that uh, APMC was collecting to create not just infrastructure like storage infrastructure, uh, cold storage, the weighing infrastructure, electronic infrastructure, but also roads, rural roads to connecting villages with the markets was being created by uh, these APMCs. Now, the 54 market yards that they had, which was like proper big areas where market yards were there with go-downs and storage yards and everything that was available, now they all have become defunct. And the state government is now issuing tenders that please come and take over these market yards. But no private trader is willing to invest. I mean, each one of them require at least 10 to 15 crores. And nobody is willing to put it up front and invest in at least reviving that, making it what it was in 2005. Because if you do that, you need to recover that money. But they are not allowed to charge any money. So you can't basically charge any commission from the farmers. You can't charge any commission from the traders. Then somebody in the state government should invest the money. So that is not happening. As a result of which, a lot of these private markets have appeared, which is on the roadside. They have created a market where they charge money from the farmers, they charge money from the traders, and do not provide any uh, infrastructure. What is the basic infrastructure required in a market? You need to provide the farmer the assurance that the weighing infrastructure is proper. It might look very silly, but it is a very, very important uh, thing for the farmer that his produce Absolutely. is weighed correctly. Whether it is 200 kg or 210 kg, that 10 kg makes a huge difference to the farmer. You need that sorting, you need that weighing, you need that uh, transporting, you need these uh, RPRs, you need all of these kind of people. Now, that infrastructure is where the government should have invested. And that, because of the vilification of APMCs, is where nobody is willing to invest. So after 15 years of Bihar experiment, and I keep reminding Bihar experiment, but this is true for all state governments. All state governments, where the reforms have happened, uh, in the name of reform, state governments have simply stopped investing in the, uh, creating this market infrastructure. In Bihar, no investment has gone into it. And this appearance of a private market seems to be quite a widespread phenomenon, right? I mean, a lot of scholars who study Mondays have pointed this out, saying APMCs are not the only way through which a lot of this is happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is something private markets have been allowed. I mean, private markets... See, oh, I mean, again, this whole myth that uh, farmers are not allowed to sell anything other than APMCs. On paper, it is true that farmers are not, but there is a condition which is there. As a farmer, if I go to a village and if I buy the produce for the farmer from the field, nobody is stopping me. Nobody, no government can come and. But the only thing is that if I, if the APMC's restrictions, which was, which, which was there in some places, which is currently there in some places, is that if you're doing bulk purchases, then you require some kind of a market structure where the APMC, which is a committee, by the way, it is an elected committee where elections are held. It is something which is uh, uh, where uh, regular, the, the composition of it, if you look at the composition of the APMC markets, it's as democratic as it can get. But the real problem of APMCs is the pollution and the corruption that has come in 
because of the political interference. Most of the APMCs are controlled by the political parties. And if you are telling me that political parties have a vested interest in letting go of their sphere of influence and become simply be more democratic, then you are living in a completely different world. Now, if you uh, say 2007, let me give you an example of this. 2017 Act, go and read that Act. This is on the agriculture website. That Act has a provision that the Agriculture Produce Marketing Committee will have elected members. So 10 agriculturalists are supposed to, farmers are supposed to be a member of that. The farmers have a condition that only people who sell in the APMC can contest for elections in the market. So this is where the restriction is. If you don't sell in APMC, you can't contest the, you can't be called an agriculturist in terms of being eligible to vote for the elections or contest elections for the APMC. But nobody is stopping you from selling it to a private person. Private markets are allowed in many, many places. The record, which is survey which is coming out, if you look at the NSS surveys, which is available for 2003, it is also available for 2013. The next one, I don't know, the report will not be released by the government, going by the past track record of it. But the next one will also confirm the same thing. More than 90% of the farmers do not sell it to APMCs. Except that's for right. sugarcane, where the number goes to 30%, because that's a very organized, and where mills are already there, and that's a very organized market in terms of uh, uh, produce being procured. And in case of sugar, uh, rice and wheat, where the public procurement uh, in terms of FCI procurement is there, in 90, 95% of the uh, farmers in all other crops, this is information available by crops, they do not go to APMC. The small and marginal farmers do not go to APMC. So that's the record. 90, 95% of the farmers actually sell it, sell it to the middlemen, sell it to traders, sell it to uh, hearts, sell it to various forms of uh, 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 markets which are available. By government's own uh, uh, records, there are uh, some 5,000, 6,000 APMCs which are functioning, but more than 25,000 rural hearts where there is absolutely no restriction. Anybody can come and go and sell it. Why was there a restriction in APMC? That was designed for a particular purpose to prevent the farmers from being uh, cheated by speculators. So the only condition... That's right, yeah, so, the, so, 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 so the, there is an entry and exit barrier. What is the entry and exit barrier? For farmers, there is no entry and exit barrier. In the sense, farmers can get registered and can go and sell there. That's not a problem. The problem is for traders. And the reason the traders had only one condition to fulfill, in the, uh, the uh, stocking space, in the sense, they should have go-downs storage spaces to become a member of the uh, thing. Now, this is where politics come in the picture. In the sense, existing uh, traders would like to you know, make sure that other traders don't come in the market. But also, uh, speculators who do not have any storing spaces, if they are allowed to come and buy simple markets and raise the prices in the auction and disappear, so there has to be some accountability. So registration is not any state government is opposed to. They all would like the registration and they also would like to collect money because that is the money that goes into building the infrastructure of markets. So I think it's a very complicated exercise. I mean, the whole APMC exercises. And I think finally I'll end up with the APMC by saying only this, that if you are assuming that by simply abolishing APMC, I mean, all these people are going to go and they're going to do farmers, which are talking about small and marginal farmers, 80% of them, who have early monthly income of 3,000 rupees, which is what the NABAD survey of 2017 had shown. And they will be able to stand up to a big corporate with course of money, then you're living in a completely different world. And there'll be no exploitation simply because you opened up the market and the corporates are um, generous entities will come and say that, okay, look, 
I'm going to give you more than what you are getting in the APMC. That is not going to happen. I mean, they all work through these same trading channels. And I think the trading pattern is something which is very, very uh, uh, entrenched. And the APMC traders are also somewhere very, very direct link with the farmers. Jammu Kashmir example is very, I must tell you, Himachal also, this is a very interesting example. In Himachal and in Jammu Kashmir or in various other places where there is a, a trading that is happening for apples and various fruits and vegetables, the link between the traders and the farmers is uh, which goes to generations. And they also, the traders also provide them credit when there is a, their crops go, low, go bad or they tell them information about what is the demand for the new crops that is coming up, what kind of a variety of apples you should be growing, what kind of a demand that is coming at, what, uh, what is the ripeness that is required, new wheat seed varieties are available. And they, many of them often give them credit. Uh, a huge right. amount of credit is provided to them by the farmers. Now, nobody else is going to do that. That credit is without collateral. It's simply based on trust, years of relationship that you come and sell your produce, and I'm going to buy your produce, and I'm going to do that. So I think by simply vilification of APMC, we are moving away from the real question. The real question is that markets are required, but more than markets, what you require is buyers. You can have a very, very efficient market, but if there are absolutely no buyers, or then there is no demand in the economy, no amount of market reforms is going to give you higher prices for the farmers. So the first thing that I think the government is trying to deflect the attention from by saying that farmers are not getting the good prices because of APMC restrictions is by not making you ask the question that where are the buyers? And if there are, there are buyers, there are buyers, buyers, farmers will find a way of selling to these ones. And then that's something which is, I think we must keep it in mind that without demand, any kind of market reforms is, uh, is not going to help the farmers. Market reforms are important, but it has to be in uh, relation with what the farmers want. And the, it cannot be without putting the money on the plate. You have to basically create those alternative infrastructures, make sure that the alternative infrastructures are in line with the institutional structure that the farmers are part of. It is something which makes information largely available to the farmers. Most of them are illiterate, which have absolutely no information. And it is something which is where, 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 where uh, buyers can, I mean, the middlemen uh, are not seen as enemies, but as facilitators. I mean, something which is, again, uh, an important part of the, uh, the wheel, we call it the wheel. So I think uh, we, are, we are getting into all sorts of other kind of arguments without really understanding the way agricultural markets function. And it's a very good deflection, very good uh, diversion from core issues. Same with the Essential Commodity Act, same with the Contract Farming Act, which again is 20-year-old. Essential Commodities Act, again, is something which is a, I mean, a smokescreen. Nothing is going to change. Nothing is going to happen. And it is as if there's a huge announcement has been made as if, look, all the problems that farmers have created have been taken care of. So I, th I, think, I think we have to be more serious about uh, these things. Really ask the serious questions that, how is it that the farmers are going to uh, get remunerative prices? And is it just the markets or is it generally the functioning of the economy? And I'll just end by saying this, that if you accept the fact that demand is really the problem, the reason why farmers are not getting good prices, and including for commodities, and for example, sugarcane, there is absolutely no problem with APMC. You have private market, all the sugar mills are private sugar mills. There's an international demand. Everything is there and private traders are there. Or for example, milk. 
whose prices there number of these private dairies are there which are processing so processing is not a problem so availability of market is not a problem consumer demand is not a problem milk and sugar can two commodities that i am giving example of still the prices have collapsed and the prices have collapsed for milk for example by 20 to 30% in fact by 40% for some amount of some category of milk and sugar cane it is going to go further down so again markets are one part of it but the real economy part is important and the real economy cannot be taken care only by thinking about agriculture because in today's world agriculture is important but a demand for agriculture comes from the overall economy where even in the rural areas where 70% coming from non agriculture sector so you cannot improve the condition of agriculture you cannot make agriculture profitable by simply dealing with what is going on in agriculture but you have to also look at what is going to happen going, what is happening in the non agriculture sector which unfortunately nobody talks about which is a very very big sector which which is a very dynamic sector it has not uh, got any attention either in policy circle or in terms of investment or in terms of regulation or in terms of uh, uh, simply the role that they play in connecting the rural with the urban you talked about the need for uh, infrastructure investment yeah and the finance minister in one of her many announcements has announced a 1 lakh crore yeah. package yeah. for agriculture infrastructure now again i just want to understand you know whether this is uh, money which is going to be available and this is going to be rolled out because again the story of saying that agricultural infrastructural reform in agriculture has been said over and over again yeah. right but yeah. uh, we've hardly seen the second part of the thing which uh, again is uh, you know what is going to be the state of farm indebtedness as a result when you know this crisis is behind us in some way because the government has currently said that you know you can get some 30000 crore worth of additional working capital through nabard uh, there is a bit of a moratorium on loan repayments i think there is a 3 month moratorium mm. but uh, i'm sure farmers will want sort of loan waivers which has already been an existing problem so i'm just wondering you know both on infrastructure which is to say government spending and what is getting done as well as you know household indebtedness as far as the farm sector is concerned how do you think uh, you know this crisis is going to actually play out let me i mean the, the infrastructure question i think is easiest to answer and that is by uh, look at the government's track record in the last 5 years this government and probably after a long period of time we have seen for the last 5 years where real investment in the sense in constant prices investment in agricultural sector has actually declined so during the same period when agricultural crisis was intensifying you had the government reducing agricultural investment in real terms in the agriculture sector in the last 5 years but that's something which is a telling fact and during the 5 years that we're talking about every year the announcement was that we are going to spend some 1 lakh crore rupees 200000 and 20000 rupees for this 30000 rupees and every year every year the government has underspent even the budgeted expenditure in agriculture sector. so that's the reality so i'm not i mean entirely convinced you can, i mean nobody is stopping from making announcements you can say that 5 lakh rupees 5 lakh crores will be now i mean invested in agriculture but there is going by the past record that track record going by the figures which are there in the budget and going by uh, the details that have been provided i i, I these are simply announcements nothing else and I, i i don't see any of these announcements materializing more so in the next one or two years given the kind of financial situation that we are in or the fiscal situation that right. we are in so i don't think any of these are going to materialize so i think it's just a right. diversion and nothing else 
I think the second question is a critical question on which uh, I have made my opinion very clear even earlier. That we are, uh, I mean, agriculture is whatever you say, I mean, it contributes only 15% to the GDP. So for most oh. of the think papers, agriculture is irrelevant. I mean, it's something which is less to be uh, worried about, uh, except for inflation. That's the only time they worry about the agriculture sector and the food sector. Otherwise, there's not very little to worry about the agriculture sector. But politicians do worry about the agriculture sector simply because we still have 45 to 50% of the population which is there in agriculture sector. And an agrarian crisis can actually make your government come back or it can simply uh, make you vanish. So that's something which political power of the agriculture sector is still there and they, 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 as a political constituency. And that is why even the previous India government, I mean, the Modi government, the first of that, had to do something about it. I mean, in, in 2000, after the three states which lost in November 2018, I mean, in, immediately in January, you had the biggest uh, PM Kisan announcement of 75,000 crores going into. The agriculture in that sense is very, very vocal. But I think right. what, what, is, what, is, what is always important that either, so the politicians realize that agriculture is something that cannot be ignored. But that's where the, 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 really the irony is that every time the solution that they provide is always a kind of very short-sighted solution. So you had a situation where loan waivers have been preferred over investment in agriculture. Cash transfers are being preferred over investment in agriculture. And you uh, systemic reforms in agriculture, uh, marketing or production or other uh, reforms have been ignored at the cost of things. So really the question is, since 2008, when uh, P. Chidambaram gave the first big loan waiver in the sense of the 68,000 crore rupees of loan waiver that was given, uh, just before the UPA two came in uh, power in 2008, that was given. After that, there are at least six to seven loan waivers that have been announced. And the really weird case was Rajasthan, which is I mean, where farmers had back-to-back -back three loan waivers coming in the picture, or in Madhya Pradesh and other places. Now, loan waivers are easy to give, uh, but they nobody asks the questions: Why is it that the farmers are in their trap? The, that's really the question. Why is it that the people are not trying to make sure the farmers do not get into a debt trap? Debt trap. Why is it that every ten year, every four or five years, you have the, the this whole chorus of loan waivers coming in, and governments simply yield and give them the land loan waivers? I mean, no farmer would like to become a. I mean, at least my speaking to farmers, no farmers would like to be voluntarily become a, a defaulter in that sense. But they are it's sure. a situation. I mean, when your costs are going up more than your uh, your, your price of the produce, and you're not able to pay up, you get into default. And this is something which can happen because your crop has failed. It could be because of the weather failure. It could be the locust attack that we have seen immediately, unseasonal rains. It could be international price of collapse of prices. It's a risky business, and farmers do get into a debt trap I mean, over a period of time. And it's also happening because agriculture in today's world, in at least in the last 10 years, is far more monetized. In a sense, you require more money in advance to do agriculture than it was, say, 30 years back or 40 years back. So there's money which is uh, more, and more, more and more involved. So you will be in a situation where farmers will, the, 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 the debt, uh, debt uh, for farmer will go up. And that's simply because when I, uh, when the sowing happened, when I decided to plant a particular crop, I was expecting a particular price. And that was the sowing decision was made in November and December. And when I go to harvest, I suddenly realize that the prices have collapsed. And I'm basically throwing my onions. So one of the stories that you're going to hear more often in the next two to three days 
is that the price of onions have collapsed. I mean, they're almost uh, going, uh, nobody, there's no buyers for onions. That's come to the, that's the situation currently. Now you'll make a loss. And this is something where, which is going to become more and more a problem. Because as demand collapses, prices of agricultural commodities will go, uh, go down. And as it goes down, more and more farmers are going to make losses and they were going to default. And that default is going to become more and more. The interest rate moratorium is not going to help it because ultimately it's a moratorium. It's not a waiver. It's not that your installments have been waived off. So you have to pay up at some point of time. So I think that crisis is going to come up again and again. But as I said, that the response again is going to be whenever the state elections are there, just before that, there is going to be a loan waiver. That's not preventing the farmer from becoming a defaulter in the before the next election cycle. So that's something which is which will keep on happening over a period of time. And I think the political economy of uh, and how agriculture is organized is something that needs to a longer discussion than what we can do it at this point of time. Sure. No, and we'd love to have you back on the podcast. Uh, Himantru, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been uh, wonderful to get your insights and we look forward to engaging with you further on the podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Interpreting India. Stay safe and don't forget to wash your hands. For more information about the podcast and the production team, you can follow us on social media and visit our webpage.